0: Let me read to you Matthew's account uh, of when Jesus sent out his apostles on, on a mission journey, a mission trip, what he told them. Last time, I spoke to you on Luke's account. Now, in Matthew's account, when he sends them out, he says this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. He says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. <laughs> a scary thought. What what chest do we have? I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes. Oh, listen to me, my fellow believer. There is nothing wrong with being a little bit clever. I did not say sinful. Maybe even a little bit, you can be sanctified sneaky. I think I just made up that phrase, sanctified sneaky. Be shrewd as snakes. And at the same time, Be innocent as doves God didn't call us to be mastermind criminals as we go bring the gospel be on your guard you'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues today the version that might be you're going to be shamed you might be canceled Uh, whatever if you jump down to verse 22 you, you find these words you will be hated there it is the hated you will be hated by everyone because of me, just because of Jesus. When I was young, I used to wonder why would people hate someone just because of the name Jesus? It's beginning to be more and more clear to me, even right here where I live, that that can sometimes be the case. You'll be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And when you're persecuted in one place, just flee to another. Can that be, are are we really the hated? Well, I gave a couple examples last time I spoke, so let me give a couple more examples today as we get into this message, showing you that sometimes people are hated simply for being Christians. Uh, And again, I could go into the news at any point and pull out examples, but let me pull pull out to you a couple examples that come from within the last week or so. The first one I wanna give you that probably many of you are aware of is that uh, recently in a National Hockey League game, the NHL, uh, up in, uh, this guy plays for the Philadelphia Flyers. His name is, I'll probably butcher his name, (laughs) but it's, uh, I wanna say Ivan uh, Pravnarov. I'm I'm sure, I apologize if I messed up your name. But they were having a a gay pride uh, night that night. And as part of that, guys were coming out early and using hockey sticks with the pride colors. Well, uh, Ivan didn't wanna go out. And, uh, and he said it's because he just felt that it wasn't something he wanted to, to do with his faith. In fact, here's what he said afterwards. He said, I respect everyone. I respect everybody's choice. My choice is to stay true to myself and my religion. When he was quizzed about it, he said, well, I'm Russian Orthodox. Interestingly, he just chose not to be part of it, and man... Did that stir up the proverbial hornet's nest? Uh, I mean, even a lot of sports writers were saying things like this. They were saying, uh, Pravinov obviously does not respect everyone. If he did respect everyone, he would have taken part in the warmup and worn the Pride Night jersey, don't hide behind religion. Uh, someone else was a sports writer, one of his colleagues said this, that was a terrible look for Ivan uh, Provenov and the Flyers organization, hiding behind religion to not be respectful and inclusive is absurd. Interesting, interesting. Uh, A lot of companies can't say Merry Christmas because someone might be offended, but when it comes to certain areas, you know, you you have to participate. Fortunately, uh, the coach stood up for him, at least I think it's fortunate. I just believe he has the right to do what he wants, as everyone else has the right to do as well. Let me give you another example. This is outside the United States, and this, again, was within the last few days. You can look at the news at any time and pull out example after example of uh, being the hated. There's a Christian charity worker in Malta, which is over there in the Mediterranean area of the world, named Matthew, and again, I'll probably mess up his last name. It's G-R-E-C-H, Gretch, who faces potential fines and imprisonment for simply going on a radio interview. And he shared what we would call in church his testimony. And he had had been homosexual, at least in his lifestyle, and had chosen to come out of it. Because of, in certain nations, having anti-conversion laws, uh, certain people complained about it. And both he and his interviewers are being threatened with uh, imprisonment. Uh, and fines and, and all kinds of stuff. Uh, interesting, and I quote here, he said uh, about the interviewers, he said, they knew my stance around sexuality in general, so they wanted to hear a little bit more about it because many shunned the other side of the story. He said, but these guys wanted to explore it because they're for freedom of speech, and they don't like it when viewpoints are shut down simply because they're unpopular. Well, You can be just about anything you want, apparently, in Malta, but you cannot be an outspoken uh, Christian. Uh, There is In Canada, in Canada right now, the nation right north of us, of course, a therapist who offered to perform any kind of counseling to uh, try to repress or whatever, change, any kind of non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior, or what they will sometimes call non-cisgender, excuse me, identity, could face up to five years imprisonment. And over in the United Kingdom, the conservative-led party in the UK government plans to debate whether legislation legislation over there should add transgender to sexual orientation in, a, in the way that you cannot uh, tell anyone that they can't consider becoming uh, female if they're male, or they, they can't have any kind of trans surgery. I remember going to Europe and England years ago and was warned by preachers from the pulpit to not bring up uh, any issues that had to do with sexual identity, any issue that had to do with gender because literally it was illegal. And I remember thinking, well, you know, whatever, but I was glad I lived in a nation where even if people would disagree with one another, we were we were free to talk about what we want to talk about. Christians are kind of becoming a punching bag out there in culture. Um, and now, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian who was who in sync, Uh, with culture, and you say you agree with everything, and then you simply add Jesus, then you probably won't have much of a problem, at least for now. Let me say that again. If you simply add Jesus and agree with culture on all these issues, then they'll probably leave you alone. You you might be tolerated. You're not going to be celebrated. But for how long? Uh, Certain groups out there, if you don't agree on every single issue, if you even disagree on one point with their arguments, then you are anathema. I can I can prove that one to you. Most of you know J.K. Rowling, who's the author who wrote the Harry Potter series, who, by the way, is on the political spectrum, very, very liberal, very, very left-wing, very pro-LGBTQ rights, but she's kind of well-known for the last couple of years and expressing some concerns over transgender women, uh, let's say becoming part of sports or all the rest, and just because of that, she has been declared anathema by much of culture. In fact, the the news organization Buzz Buzzfeed just this last August, they pl- they placed her, just an author, among 17 famous people who began as heroes but ended up as as major villains, and there were 17 of them listed, like famous historical traders like Benedict Arnold, O.J. Simpson, uh, Bill Cosby, Jim Jones, who had the tragedy down there in Guyana. Interesting. If you can agree on every single point but disagree on one issue, you're anathema. Jesus also said this in Matthew chapter 24, which was his Talk about the end times. Matthew chapter 24, verse nine, he warns us. He says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And then here's a scary statement. I've talked about this the last couple of years off and on. Because of the increase of of wickedness, the Greek there means because sin and all that is just so multiplied and so available, the love of most, and I quote right now, the love of most will grow cold but the one who stands firm to the end shall be saved. That's a a challenge. Last time I kind of talked about how how we handle living in a culture like this, what should be our approach. You know, how's the church at at large going to handle it? I know there's going to be all kinds of approaches. There'll be churches that totally embrace culture and agree with culture on every level. There'll be churches that take a hard line and yell and scream at culture, and say, y'all are going to hell, and, uh, and all kinds of stuff in between. But I think it doesn't take a genius to figure out that we no longer live in uh, a nation that is part of what used to be taught as the Judeo-Christian heritage. The levers of control in our nation are, are now controlled by by people that don't like Christians very much, and by levers of control, I mean government, media, the entertainment industry, our judicial system, uh, education, medicine. If, if you're a parent right now, in a lot of our hospitals, if your kid who may be a minor, decides because they have some classes, maybe this is where they're heading, that they wanna think about uh, changing their gender, and, and you walk into an appointment with the doctor, there's a good chance that there will also be activists in that meeting as well, and those activists May have as much say over your child's life as you do. That's one of the big, big challenges our culture is facing right now. Who has final say over our minor children? Parents, the government, educators. Uh, but they're more and more controlling a lot of the what I would call the levers. Of, of influence. I'll never forget when one of my good friends, a pastors a significant church here in California, who for years had been really good friends with a uh, LGBTQ activist, who I could name, but many of you would know who I'm talking about, both the pastor and the activist. And they just they stayed friends. They disagreed a lot, but they stayed friends. They're they're still friends. But but his friend, the pastor's friend, ended up getting so high. In political power, that he became an assistant uh, to our current governor, I believe still is. So, my pastor friend, when COVID was in its, uh, in, it is in its heyday. Was calling this friend saying, Hey, can you talk to the governor and, and find out what can go on with churches? What can we and can we not do? We, we kind of feel like we're being overlooked. Uh, yeah, liquor stores can stay open, uh, drug, marijuana shops can stay open, you know, what's going on there? And actually, they had a very good talk. His friend said, Okay, you know, I'll talk to him about it. And by the way, he did. And by the way, it helped. <laughs> so that's good. But the reason I bring this story up is because the pastor told me, he said, One of the last things. Things my friend told me was this he said he said you do understand don't you and, and then he said in my friend's name i'll just make it up i'll call him bill it's not bill he says you do know don't you bill that you christians in california have absolutely no influence and no power whatsoever anymore and it's true in fact my, my friend Bill said back to him. He goes, "Yeah, I know. I'm not asking for power or influence. I'm just asking for a fair shake from our government." So the guy said, "I understand. I'll, I'll, I'll go and see, see what I can do." You know, currently there are 200 nations on this planet. 60 of the 200 are already pretty actively anti-christian uh, there's around 300 million believers at least in these 60 nations and many of these nations have uh, anti-conversion laws if they're strongly islamic the penalty could even be death that if someone in would convert to christianity both the convert and sometimes those that bring the convert to the lord could be killed uh, you got the pressure of uh, militant islam in India and other parts, you have Hindus that are militant and they're anti anyone who's, who's, who's not, not a Hindu. China is becoming increasingly anti Christian. They're, they're kind of anti all religion. China's becoming what you might want to call a, a surveillance state. And they now have ways that they can tell who you are, where you're going. And it's, it's, they're, they're very, very oppressive. The Esther Project which you might wanna check out at some point, the Esther Project estimates that there are more Christians around the world being killed right now for their faith than at any time in Christian history. Let me repeat that. The Esther Project says right now on planet Earth, there are more Christians being killed for their faith than at any time in in Christian history. They estimate around 100,000 Christians are being killed per year around the world right now, because of their faith, and have you ever heard about that? See, our culture, our media, they have what some call selective outrage. If someone from a certain community gets persecuted, or if you had someone who was of a certain persuasion persecuted, even just yelled at, they'll call that a hate crime. It'll be in all the newspapers, but 100,000 Christians can be killed, and unless you're going to turn to Christian news, you're going to hear very little, if anything, about all that. Uh, some of my pastor friends, they say, hey, look, face up to the fact, here in America right now, paganism reigns. It's pe- one pastor calls it paganism 2.0, and Christianity is viewed as a threat Uh, Christianity in general is a threat, and the church in America in particular uh, is often viewed as being part of what some will call the patriarchal structure. In other words, it's it's, it's a gender issue. It's a man thing that Christianity needs to be gotten rid of because it's part of what's been historically the oppression of males over females and everybody else, or it's part of white supremacy, that Christianity incorrectly by the way is viewed as being part of the white man and the white man went out into the world and tried to make the world christian really trying to make the world white so not only is it a gender thing it is a race thing in fact america has become and here's here's why it's a challenge america has become so post christian that word means they're sort of after christian it's no longer a christian culture so it's become so post-Christian that in many respects, America right now is pre-Christian. Although, here's what I mean by that. People right now don't even know much about it, so it's almost like America's never heard of the gospel, but it's actually more challenging than that because most people that we wanna talk to about Jesus today, they don't know hardly anything about it except a few things they've heard, so they already have misperceptions you might want to call them prejudices. In other words, they prejudged what this thing is all about. Oh, that's that male thing. It's part of the patriarchal oppression, or it's part of white supremacy. That is, It's tough to talk to them about the love of God and what the Christian faith is, is really all about. How do, we, how do we, in this generation, impact culture and talk about the love of God to a world like this? This is our challenge. I mean, how are we going to do it? You know, there is that so-called 11th commandment that Christians kind of believe and practice, and that is, you know, be nice. <laughs> we want to be nice to everybody. And, you know, how, how do you be nice? How, how can you stay loving? How do you go to work where they're doing training, whatever word they want to use for that training? Sometimes it's diversity training, and not all the time, but sometimes it sort of has an anti-Christian edge to it. And if you're a believer, what do you do? you just sit there and be quiet? Well, that might be the best thing. If you're asked, do you lie? (laughs) Do you lie? I mean, I I don't know. I'm asking asking these questions. I'll let some of you decide. On the other hand, do we in the church, do we want to preach so much that we get people really, really angry, and so they all leave church seething with anger at Ethic culture, uh, or they're mad at everybody. I'm not sure that that's the kind of response, but that, but that Jesus w- would really want. I would, I would advocate that the time has come now more than ever for the church to stand for, for love, for the church to stand for forgiveness. The great pastor uh, in New York, Tim Keller, uh, has a book out right now uh, about forgiveness. But let, let me read to you what, what he said about our current culture. What's his book called? Uh, Sorry, I can't see the name of the book, but it's about about our current culture and forgiveness. He says this, he says, in recent years, uh, Tim Keller began noticing the rise of the punitive movement known as cancel culture. You know, we all know what that is. And cancel culture has a lot of good behind it, but it also has some dangers. Here's what he says. Along with cancel culture came a disturbing trend young people were becoming increasingly uncomfortable with the idea of forgiveness. a lot lot of truth to that. Uncomfortable with the idea of forgiveness. Jesus taught us as a church, he said, I'm quoting now from Luke, he says, love your enemies. Even non-believers know that verse. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. But in our culture, the question arises, but what about justice? Uh, in this book, but that Tim Keller wrote, uh, he also refers to the fact that the church has not always done so well when it comes to justice. And sometimes we've abused forgiveness, watch. We've abused the idea of forgiveness to do away with justice. This is nowhere more true then in the area of what has become um, sexual molestation or sexual abuse. I didn't know, for example, that um, a, a Christian attorney named Rachel, and I'll probably mess up her name too, one of the many today, a Christian attorney named Rachel Den uh, Den Hollander, who was the Christian attorney who led the charge against the nationally known gymnastics, women's gymnastics doctor Larry Nasser. Uh, she led the charge to bring him to justice for all the girls that we've read about who were, you know, abused, sexually abused under his leadership. And uh, part of what she argues, a part of what Timothy Keller says, look, you 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 can't. Just forgive people. Tim Keller said, sometimes the church in the past, because we're anxious to forgive, the forgiveness becomes a cover-up. Uh, and that's true. But look at me. You need both forgiveness and justice to bring about true reconciliation. Let, let, let me say that again. Forgiveness and justice are necessary, or else you're not going to have reconciliation. Uh, Forgive, you know, justice without forgiveness is just simply vengeance. Let me say that again: justice without forgiveness is vengeance. But forgiveness without justice is abusive, and it is inequality. It is just not fair to the victims, and it's honestly it's also not fair to the recovery of the uh, perpetrator. So let me end my last few minutes by looking at the Bible here and asking you a question. Can we have both forgiveness and justice? God thinks so. The Bible thinks so. Let let me read to you a passage that maybe a lot of you are very very well aware of. I learned this when I was a little kid in Sunday school because I'm in a Luke chapter 19, we find the story of Zacchaeus. (laughs) Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree because the Lord he wanted to see. And at some point in the song, as as a kid, we loved this part. He He would go, Zacchaeus? come down. But let's look at the passage that that children's song comes from. Luke chapter 19, verse 1 says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. In other words, he was the boss, baby, and was wealthy. By the way, tax collectors back then, they were Jews, so they were part of the people, but they were like what we want to call it they were given the task by the romans to collect taxes and how they made their money especially how they got rich was by charging the people too much for their taxes and then the tax collectors would pay rome what rome was supposed to get and they'd keep the rest for themselves that's why people hated them so much i don't know no comments about the irs come on this is church Goes on to say in verse three, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree, uh, sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming his way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. (laughs) By the way, the last chapter, all people were praising Jesus because he had healed a blind guy. Now the same people are muttering criticism because he's hanging around sinners. He's hanging around the hated. He's hanging around those that in their minds, they had canceled. Uh, They go, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up, Not too big, didn't take him very long to stand up, apparently. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. For the Son of Man, Jesus says, came to seek and to save that which is lost. Zacchaeus came up short in more ways than just physically. I mean, he he was short in honesty. He was short in integrity. He was short in social acceptance. And when the Bible says he couldn't get to see Jesus because of the crowd, I think it wasn't just because he was physically short, I'll bet you anything that crowd did not want to let that guy through. So he he ran ahead to see if, if he could get a, a look at him. See, Zacchaeus was hated, but he was also feared because he had power. Uh, he, he, set, he, he just couldn't see. The Bible says that Jesus did something that the crowd didn't do. In this passage I just read, number one, it says he looked up and saw. I want to say that again. Jesus looked up up and saw. I don't know if I want to name a couple names right now because they're so hated, it it, it would turn some of you off. Um, so maybe I shouldn't. But if I mentioned, like, Bill Cosby, hmm. What if Bill Cosby turned Should God forgive him? Harvey, is it Weinstein, who kind of gave rise to the Me Too movement? Man, I think, so again. How do you combine forgiveness with justice? The church has been, over the years, pretty good about offering forgiveness, but sometimes we don't hold people, you know, we we, we don't hold them to account. The other hand, sometimes the world today, they're pretty good on justice, but if there's no forgiveness, justice can start to look, not necessarily in those two names I just mentioned, but in some situations, justice can begin to look a little bit more like vengeance. But Jesus saw, and He cared. So watch out what the crowd thinks. See, the crowd, the the crowd will hold you back because the crowd sees your reputation. Jesus sees your potential. Uh, the crowd sees, uh, you know, who you are right now on social media. But Jesus sees who you can become. I also think it's great that Jesus called him by name. I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on, what side of moral issues, what side, whether you're Christian community or Islamic community or atheistic community or cisgender community or, you know, gay community. If we would get to know each other and call each other by name, it's harder to hate. It's harder to hate. I know you still can, but it's harder to hate those that you actually get to know. Uh, I said in church the other day, I miss having friends. Actually, I still do. I like having friends that literally we disagree about everything, politics, religion, love. whatever. We disagree on everything, and we can actually have, you know, intellectual almost fights and arguments and debates, but we still love each other. I I wish our culture could get back to that, but hey, you can always keep wishing. Jesus with Zacchaeus invites himself, You know, this is the only place in the Bible I'm aware of where Jesus invited himself. Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house for dinner. Jesus took the initiative to bring about forgiveness to this guy. And as we're going to see in a second before we're done, Zacchaeus does a little bit about the whole justice issue. Remember Revelation 3.20? Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in to him and sup with him. He won't force the door down. He will simply knock and, and make himself available. Jesus brought salvation to Zacchaeus. He brought forgiveness. But one point I have to mention before we're done. Did you catch it? When the crowd was murmuring and saying, why does, why does this guy eat with Zacchaeus? The guy's a jerk. Did you see where Zacchaeus on his own said, hey, hey, hey I'm going to pay people back from this day on, man. I'm going to start to pay people back. If I've stolen from anyone, I'll pay you back four times. In other words, he was going beyond the Old Testament requirement. In the Old Testament, they had certain requirements that if you hadn't paid what you're supposed to pay in taxes, there was a, in the Old Testament, a 20%. A penalty on it. You know point I want to make right now? Jesus's grace and love towards Zacchaeus caused him to go beyond what he was supposed to do if he's going to come in and say, hey man, I have messed up and I'm going to pay the price for it. And that's the part I want to bring up right now. This is in stark contrast to a guy Jesus met in the previous chapter. We're in Luke 19. In Luke 18, he runs across a ruler. And this ruler says, good teacher, what do I need to do to inherit life? Jesus said, well, what does the law say? He goes, well, you know, don't kill, blah, blah, blah. This guy goes, hey, I've done all that. But Jesus looked at the guy and said, one thing you lack, you have too much. You need to give away all your money to the poor and come and follow me. And the Bible says that the guy went away very sad because he was very wealthy and was not going to let go of that in order to follow Jesus, not Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus said, you know what? It's not been fair. And even though I'm being forgiven, I'm being accepted right now by Jesus, I still have to do the right thing. I know this may fall on, on deaf ears, but I wish I could live in a community that offered both forgiveness and justice, justice and forgiveness. Forgiveness without justice very often, not all the time, but very often can, you know, forgiveness without justice just becomes, you know, syrupy sweet, brushed under the, under the rug, and victims are Left going, huh? <laughs> you know, that guy's still preaching? That, that guy's still the governor? After all, of that, oh, yeah, 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 we forgave him. On the other hand, justice without forgiveness can start to become at times borderline vengeance. I would say as believers, man, let's go for both. Even if we're being hated, even if we're being hated upon, let's do our best to do what Jesus said. Let's love our enemies. Let's do good to those who hate us and persecute us and talk bad about us. And if there are things in our families that aren't quite right, our church families and whatever, come on, man, we can't just brush things under the rug in the name of forgiveness and act like it never happened. That's really not what forgiveness is all about.